coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and for the first time ever on the Glory UGA podcast, I am joined by both of my co-hosts. We've got Charlie here in studio in Athens, in the Classic City, and Curtis live from law school. So if we have the whole crew here for the first time ever, you know we have to have something special for you guys today. This is our 2019 football postseason awards show. Our original intention was to produce and run this show just after the season ended, And we fully recognize that this show may be a few weeks late at this point, but with all the news, all the headlines surrounding our program from NFL decisions to coaching turnovers to big commitments, all that stuff, this particular show just kept getting pushed back because we wanted to cover all the topical stuff as timely as we could. We knew that when all that news was hot with Todd Munkin coming over, Jay Fromm going pro, Jamie Newman transferring here, we knew that that was the stuff that you guys wanted to hear as it was happening. So that's what we did. But now that things have died down somewhat on the headlines front, it's time for our postseason award show. We've been teasing this one for about a week or two, releasing the categories, the nominees on Twitter for you guys to vote on gradually over the past week. And it's been a lot of fun just seeing how the listener vote has broken down on the various categories. In the process for this show, it's pretty simple. Uh, Charlie, Curtis, and I, we each get a vote. And you guys, our amazing loyal listeners, you guys also get a collective vote as well, which is based off the Twitter polls that we've been running over the past week or so. And in the event of a tie, we are giving you guys the ultimate power. Since there are four voters for each category, the possibility of a tie does exist. And in those cases, the listener vote will be the tiebreaker. Tie goes to you guys. It's just one small way that we can thank you guys for all the support over the past year. And for some of you guys, all the support over the past five years. Charlie is here to serve as our host, our MC of sorts. She's going to introduce each category and the nominees. She'll reveal the winners, and then she's going to engage Curtis and I in our reactions to the winners. We have 10 awards to hand out today. We're actually not physically handing anything out, but to, uh, I guess, awards to award to people. You That's wish what... you got to hand out awards. Oh, that would, that would be amazing, but uh, we're not that cool. Uh, so 10 awards, and uh, as the much more legitimate award shows do, we're going to kind of model ourselves after that. We're going to save our biggest and most prestigious awards for last. So stick around and wait for those bigger awards later on the show. But we have about a 45-minute or so window to hand out and react to all 10 awards. So let's get to it, Charlie. Let's kick it off. All right. The first award we will be handing out today is for the most improved player of the year. And the winner of this award was only was excuse me one of only two unanimous winners this season. Our nominees are Richard LeCount, Brian Harrion, Quay Walker, and Jake Camarda. And the winner is Richard LeCount with 51% of the fan vote. And as I said, Richard was a unanimous winner. In this Can you say that word again? Because you were asking me before the show how to say that. It, don't make Unan- me You speak it well. Unanimous. I don't even know what I was going to say. Okay. Richard was the unanimous winner in this award category. So why did you guys go with LeCount? Curtis, let's start with you. Well, I'll admit, especially last year and at the beginning of the year, I was really hard on him saying, you know, he had certain things he needed to do to improve his game. 
Um, or else, you know, we, we would have to potentially replace him with someone who was more sure-handed. Um, and I thought he did a great job, especially, you know, after the second couple games, he became one of our more, more sure tacklers. thought he did a great job in pass coverage. I thought he just really changed his game and became what we had been needing him to be. And, I mean, close to a lockdown. Yeah, and Curtis, I, I I was actually surprised when you sent in your picks because, I, as you mentioned there, you, you were totally owning that. And not just you, you and I both have been hard on LeCount up until this year. And even in the early parts of this year, we were still being hard on him. Because it wasn't that we hated Richard or anything like that. Actually, I love Richie. He's a great guy, great uh, players, and has all the talent in the world. But that's the thing is, like, we knew he could be so much better than he was playing. And I think that's the thing why we are hard on him, because he had the talent. He, I mean, incredible skill set. Um, and he showed, like, burst of it where you do it but then there were times you're sitting there like what are you doing like you just missed a big tackle and now they have a big play yeah and I think inconsistency right that's the word we would always use with him uh you're exactly right like we, we talked about like we, we tried to point out what he did well because he did a lot of things well but it was just it was just so inconsistent particularly when it came to tackling uh but he had he had all the tools it took to be a big time like a like potential all SEC type player. Now he didn't quite get there this year, but Kurt, I mean, is it a stretch to say that LeCount could certainly be in that realm, uh, in, in, in at that level next year? Could he be an all SEC type player? Um, I think it is because I mean he's only going to continue to get better. Um, he's he'll be another year in this defense, and I think one of the biggest things is this is his defense now, especially. Uh, from uh, he's going to be that leader on defense. Um, I think he's going to be putting up. They're going to ask a lot of him. Like you saw, J.R. Reed, he did a lot of different things for us and was one of our, you know, more trustworthy guys. And I think that's going to be Richard this year. Yeah, I agree, especially with J.R. being gone. I mean, he is. I mean, we got some. We got a couple of veteran guys in the secondary there. We got guys like Eric Stokes as well. But Richard LeCount, I think, make no make no bones about it. He's going to be one of the, if not the biggest leaders on that defense, along with guys like Monty Rice, Eric Stokes. There'll be some guys on the defense. But uh, the count is, he's a guy that I think has the potential to be an all-SEC type guy. And I think he did himself some favors coming back for his senior year. I know there was some consternation. Would he, would he not? You know, what's he going to do? I think he might have just made himself some money by coming back. He probably, what, what do you think, Kurt? Fourth-ish at best round draft pick? Um, at best, and I think a lot of it would have been just on his pure athleticism and things that he can do because he just still hadn't done it at such a high level consistently. Yeah, and I think some of these other guys, just want to mention some of their nominees real quick. I think they were all deserving in their own right. Jake Kamara, according to the fans, the listeners, that with their vote, he came in second. Who Would LeCount have been second for you? Or I'm sorry, would Kamara have been second for you, or would you go in another direction? I probably would have gone with Kamara because, I mean, he went – there were still some times where he'd screw up, but I thought he was a lot more consistent. He helped us really in the field position battle compared to the struggles he went through last year. Yeah, I think that's very fair. A guy like Brian Herring, he did a good job for us this year. But do you really think Brian Herring was all that different of a player this year as he was in years past, or was it just more of an opportunity for him? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's just the fact that he got more carries that he hadn't gotten um, previous years. Yeah, I think I would go with that as well. But, uh, yeah, so Richard LeCount, most improved player, I think very deserving. All right. Our second award of the night is for the surprise player of the year. And this was a player that surprised us the most with his play and contributions. And our nominees were DJ Daniel, Zamir White, Lawrence Cager, and Devontae Wyatt. And the winner is Lawrence Cager. Lawrence Cager. He was close to following LeCount's footsteps as another unanimous winner in this category, but he just – 
fell short just slightly because just slightly. Curtis cast his vote for Devontae Wyatt. So Curtis is Curtis Devontae Wyatt. Since right. the fans voted for Cager in a landslide, giving him 70% of the vote, what was it about Wyatt that led you to give him the nod over Cager? Um, while uh Cager had had his drops and had he didn't put up the most you know crazy statistics while at Miami, the thing is he was still a very highly ranked recruit. Um, so it was never questioned the skills, but you never knew what you were going to get with Devonta Wyatt. And I thought, especially that year after being in JUCO, he really responded this past year, um, becoming one of our anchors, especially him and Tyler Clark on the defensive line. Yeah, Kurt, I, I can't kill you for the Devonte Wyatt because I think he was dramatically improved this year. And I, I mean, Tyler Clark was really, really good for us. I think he, t- he got cl- a step closer to what he was uh, towards the end of his sophomore year. We saw him kind of go on that ferocious playoff run, especially against Oklahoma and in the Rose Bowl. He just lights out in that game. I thought he played well in the national title game as well. But he uh, kind of had a, a junior slump of sorts. Now, there, that was, part of that was injury-related. But I thought Tyler Clark really stepped up and had a, a big-time senior year for us. But I thought Devontae Wyatt, in a lot of cases, was – I mean, Curtis, is it a stretch to say that he was ju- in some ways just as good as Tyler Clark was? I think so. Tyler Clark would make some of those plays that jump out at you, like, you know, the third – the fourth down stop against teams like that. South Carolina, like that. that big stop in the goal line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was against Vandy or no, or someone he like jackknifed through, made a big play. And, yeah. Um, he just made big plays when he needed them. But um, I think Wyatt was actually honestly the more consistent of the two. I, I think you can make that argument. And I saw it from the beginning. Actually, he was one of the guys in the game one in Nashville against the Venerable Commodores. Like he was one to me, like he was one of the few guys, not few guys, but he was one of the top guys that stood out to me. A lot of guys stood out in that game. But like when I walked away from that game, like he was one of the guys that was on my mind, my, my mind, like, oh my God, Devontae Wyatt, he can play like that all year. Now I I don't I can't say that he played at an elite level all year long. I don't think he was quite that good, but I do think he took a big step forward this year. And I'm really excited to see what he can do next year as a senior. So I I I get where you're coming from there. And me with Cager, like you and I talked about this in the offseason, Curtis, like when we were talking about uh, who was going to be that go-to guy once J.J. Holloman got dismissed from the team, that whole deal. And, and a lot of people were, were hoping it was me, George Pickens, and you and I were certainly hopeful of that, but we were kind of hesitant at the same time because, hey, it's a true freshman. You never really know those kind of guys. We thought Cager would end up being the guy. So uh, this was a tough one because I, I wasn't completely surprised that Cager was better than he was at Miami. I thought he would be better than he was at Miami. So just just – by the fact alone that he had a much better quarterback and, and some stability there uh, compared to what he had in Miami, which was just a train wreck of a quarterback situation. So I thought he'd be better just based on that alone. But I I would be lying to you if I told you – if I would have told you in, let's say, June that I thought he would have anywhere close to the kind of impact they had in our team. Now, I know he didn't play that many games, but like just think about like, how critical he was to our team. There's no way I could have predicted before the season. I thought he'd be a contributor, a big contributor, but I, I in no way did I foresee him being – as critical to our fortunes offensively and really our, our entire team as I think he ultimately ended up being. So I think that's why I went with Cager. But Devontae White's a good pick as well. I I can't really completely throw you throw you away there on that one. Okay. Our next award is the best single game performance award. And I think that w- that one is pretty self-explanatory. So our nominees are George Pickens versus Baylor with 12 catches, 175 yards, 14.6 yards per catch, and one touchdown. Jake Fromm versus Florida for 20 for 30 with 279 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. DeAndre Swift versus Kentucky with 21 carries, 179 yards, 
eight and a half yards per carry and two touchdowns in a monsoon. That was fun. Important aspect yeah, there. Yeah, that was. Or J.R. Reed versus Notre Dame with seven tackles, one interception, and three pass deflections. And the winner is George Pickens versus Baylor, which is not surprising at all. So this is another one that was close to being unanimous, but this time it, it was you. me. Yes. Well, if you throw in three offensive players and one defensive player, I'm going to pick the defensive player. Yeah, guys, I just want you to know, like, when, when Charlie's sitting in these picks, and I was like, Charlie, what, what are you going with JR? I mean, it was a great game by JR, but come on. She's like, I just I love defensive guys, and that 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 was her explanation. So. I'm always gonna pick the defensive know, player if you give me one out of four. Matt, I got it. I got it. So, Curtis, you were with the majority this time. What made Pickens' performance in the Sugar Bowl the best from any player all season? I mean, first off, I think that the thing that sticks out to me the most is all year, especially once Cager went down, our offense was abysmal. Um, inconsistent passing game was not there. Um, and then Baylor has one of the had one of the better defenses in the nation, and he goes out there pretty much on his own. I mean, Jake threw great balls, yes, but not a lot of help at the receiver position. Teams, I mean, and after the first couple catches, they were focusing on him, and yet he was still going out there and getting himself in a position to be successful, making the plays, getting open, running routes to give Jake an app, you know, a window to throw the ball into. And I mean, if he doesn't play like that, we're not in that game at all. Like it's not even close. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there, man. That that's why I went with Pickens. And, and really, you you mentioned one thing that kind of was I don't want to say the deciding factor, but it, it helped me make my decision here. If you look at that game and the injuries that we had at wide receiver, I mean, it was Pickens and, and who else, Curtis? Like, it, uh, uh, Matt maybe? Landers and uh, Landers, yeah. Uh, Sim, uh, Simmons. Then Simmons, right? I mean, that that's, that's all it was. So like, well, I guess what I'm saying is he had. Uh, I, and I, I want to be fair to our other players. I don't want to – I mean, we've killed these guys all season. I, don't, I hate doing this. But, like, he didn't really have much help. Let's just say that at wide receiver. Like, he was the only guy out there. And you know that Baylor had game planned for him, especially once he started making plays. And it was clear early on that game that we were going to feature him and we were going to go to him time and time again. They they definitely did. You might watch again. They did adjust to that. But he still found a way to make plays. And that's one thing that really excited me about watching him in that game is, yeah, early in the game, it was some of the, the vertical stuff, going and getting balls, 50-50 balls, that kind of stuff. But later in the game, when they were really making a point to try to game plan and scheme for him to take him away, he was get, creating separation, getting open based on his route running ability, which we hadn't seen as much from him all year. There's nuances. Uh, and yeah, I thought he played really hard in that game. And I think this is the biggest statistical outlier of the season because let's be real. Georgia receivers, at least the past couple of years, just don't put up numbers like that. 12 catches, 175 yards, almost 15 yards a catch. They just simply don't put up numbers like that. And you talk about a true freshman doing that. And a guy who, I don't want to say, well, he hadn't necessarily struggled uh, on the field, but had struggled with staying on the field more than anything the last couple of games of the regular season and I guess in the, uh, in the, in the uh, SEC title game as well. So that was a huge game for him. For me, the other thing, the other uh, performance I was considering, and I know you guys don't say obviously, but it was Jake Fromm versus Florida. Uh, the reason I went with Pickens over Fromm's performance against the Gators was uh, it was just – so much more of a, of a statistical outlier. I mean, Fromm's game, if you look at the stat line, it's a solid game, 20 of 30, 279, two touchdowns, no picks. That's not a kind of like blow your mind type game. Like those are good numbers for a quarterback, but not like necessarily just something that's just going to jump off the page at you. But what I really liked about that performance from Jay Fromm was just the fact that he was, his back was against the wall. All the criticism coming into that game, just like it was in 2018, come out that LSU performance, made some huge clutch throws in that game, did not 
flinch when it mattered most. I strongly consider Jake Fromm. You guys can call me a Jake Fromm homer if you want. That's fine. But ultimately, I went with Pickens for the reason I just outlined and, and what you said there as well, Kurt. All right. Well, moving on, the fan favorite award is up next. And while all of the awards, the awards are subjective, this one is probably the most subjective because it's basically the award where you pick the player you root for the most or you have the biggest soft spot for. Saying that, when I got the list. So I wonder so that, who Tyler's going to pick, huh? Well, yeah. No, I was totally confused when you sent this because I was like, so you're asking me to pick who everyone else likes? I didn't like? realize I was picking what I like, so I had a very bad moment there. Yes. And then I it's realized okay. who I was supposed to be picking for. So our nominees for fan favorite are DeAndre Swift, Rodrigo Blankenship, Jake Fromm, and Zamir White. And the winner is obviously Rodrigo Blankenship. Hot Rod, let's go. Well, the votes for this award between us were split down the middle with Tyler and I voting for Jake Fromm and Curtis and Wait, the listeners. Jake Fromm? I know, what? right? And Curtis and the listeners voting for Blankenship. And since the listener vote is the tiebreaker, Blankenship it is. So Tyler, and perhaps the most unsurprising pick of the show, you went with Jake Fromm as your fan favorite. Care to defend that pick? I don't know. I thought I would catch everyone off guard with that one. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, look, uh, it, it, I mean, look, you got I, the, the simple fact of the matter is I've been the president of the Jake Fromm fan club for, what, two years now? Uh, so I, ha- I I just had to. It's part of the job description. If you're president of the Jake Fromm fan club and I've defended him as I have for two years now, uh, I, I had to pick the guy. But, look, I love all these guys. It was Actually, it was – and you might not think it was difficult, but it was. I mean, I love DeAndre Swift. I love the leadership he showed this year. Uh, just an absolutely insanely talented player. That, I'm going to miss that dead leg, man. I'm going to miss that big time. Uh, and Rod – I mean, who doesn't love Rodrigo Blankenship? For the very first time, uh, we saw him interviewed. I was actually at that game uh, in Lexington, and I went back home and watched the highlights. And here, here's this guy, this young kicker, giving an interview with his helmet on, uh, just in the goggles, obviously, the whole nine yards. Just a good dude. Um, so, you know, it's hard to go against that. Zamir White, I mean, how can you not love Zamir White? Not just for what he's uh, fought back from with the ACLs the past couple of years, but just go back in his childhood with the cleft palate and all of that. I mean, this guy is the model of perseverance. So I love all these guys. But, again, as the president of Jake Fromm fan club, I had no choice. It, it's in my contract. I had to go with Jake Fromm. And but in all seriousness, I mean, look, I, uh, Jake is not – he was – Never the most talented player in the world. I have always recognized that. But uh, I, he is uh, – guys like him are the kind of guys that I've always rooted for, guys that, may not, that might not be the most physically gifted, but just find a way to make it happen through sheer willpower and grit and all that, determination, all those things. I know some people don't get into that. They they mock that. That's fine. But for me, I've always had a soft spot for, for guys like that. So I guess that's why I'm with Jake. Okay. Curtis, you were with the listeners on this one. Tell us why you went with Rodrigo. I mean, I think Jake was a very polarizing person, and I think that the one person everyone – or no one ever really had a problem getting behind was always Rodrigo. He's a fan favorite. Um, as you mentioned, ever since that game in Lexington, um, you know, he was just – he was a very popular player that people loved. And you love cheering for the guy, especially after that first year. Um, we were all really hard on him, you know, all that pressure from when his dad was saying all those things. And um, he ended up re- uh, responding and becoming one of the more beloved players on our – and on the team. Well, I'm going to play, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to, I'm going to do what people do with Jay from. Well, even though he missed that kick against Alabama in the title game, even though he missed a kick in the SEC title game, you still love him. 
I mean, as frustrated as I was, I would have to say yes. I mean, he was yeah. more probably more the consistent of the two. Yeah, of course you still love him because, like, look, guys aren't perfect. They 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 make they miss kicks, they miss throws. This still doesn't mean there aren't great guys who go out there and work their tails off to to put our team in the best position to possibly win and and give us the thrills that we all so desperately long for. All right. Well, next up, we have what I think is the most obvious pick of them all for the Newcomer of the Year Award. Our nominees are DJ Daniel, George Pickens, Tyreek Stevenson, and Nolan Smith. And the winner is, obviously, George Pickens, taking home his second award of the night. And, obviously, the other unanimous selection. So, Curtis, why was Pickens the clear choice as Newcomer of the Year? Um, because I think of any of the newcomers, we probably relied on him more than anyone. Um, DJ Daniel had to share a lot of time with Tyson Campbell, um, you know, Nolan Smith, people like that. They did have their bright spots, but I think the one person that was thrown to the wolves more than anyone was definitely George Pickens. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is a two-horse race in this category. I think Pickens, obviously, and then DJ Daniel, because those are two of the, of the four options that I think had the biggest impact on the year. Nolan Smith played a big – played a role in our team from the very beginning, but it was never like an outsized role. He was always kind of more of an auxiliary piece coming in. He was never a starter, but coming on third downs at times and and did some really good things for us. And I am sky high on what Nolan can do uh, as early as this coming year. I think he he is a superstar in the making. And then Tyreek Stevenson didn't really play much at all the first half of the season. Now he did come on very strong, became a, uh, a a guy that a a figure basically, a guy that was a big part of what we did in the nickel package, especially the dime package as well late in the season, and did some really good things. Another guy that I'm very, very high on moving forward. But in terms of like last year and who made the biggest impact, I think it's going to be Pickens or Daniel. I did. I mean, Daniel was re- he was a really good player for us, more under the radar because people don't play t- as much attention to defensive guys as they do offensive players. The, the stats aren't there. Uh, and also, I think you have to factor in that George Pickens was a big name coming out of high school, so he was already on the radar. People were looking towards him, whereas DJ Daniel was a three-star JUCO recruit, didn't have that uh, that that hype coming out of uh, out of JUCO as Pickens had come out of high school. And then just on the field, I think it's – while Daniel was a really strong contributor for us and played a ton for us and really helped fill in for Tyson Cam when he goes down with a with the turf toe and which was a big issue for him for really the last three fourths of the year essentially, but uh, I thought Pickens had a huge impact for us. I wish he would have stayed health or not healthy. I wish he would have stayed out of trouble down the stretch. I mean, we still probably weren't going to have beaten LSU with him playing the first half, but at least would have been a little bit more interesting. He came in and had an immediate impact on the game. Not enough to really make a difference, but he still made an impact once he got in there. Uh, but he he was a, a big time player. Now he had moments where he didn't show up at all. Like, you know, at Auburn, he had, I think, one catch for 11 yards, but he had some big time moments, obviously capped by that huge performance against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. Okay. Well, while the Newcomer of the Year award was probably the easiest award to pick, I think the next one may have been the most difficult because there are a number of ways we could have looked at this category. But the next award we're handing out is for Play of the Year. Nominees are Lawrence Cager with his 52-yard touchdown catch against Florida, Trayvon Walker's sack to seal the Auburn game, Brian Harrion's tip to himself, against Florida, mm-hmm. and from to Wolf to seal the game against Florida. Huh, must have had a really good game against Florida, huh? Must have been a big one. Okay. And the winner is Lawrence Cager's 52-yard touchdown reception against Florida. 
I was the only one that didn't go with Cager, of course. I went with Trayvon Walker's game-clinching sack against Auburn because with how the fourth quarter was going and how that stadium was rocking. I was there. It was quiet all game long. Until it really was quiet quarter. all game long. Yeah, it was that, very yeah. quiet. And then it just it exploded. So without that, I still think there's a good chance we could have lost that game without that play. And you just love defensive guys. It's okay. I do. Again, you gave me one defensive play and three offensive plays. I'm going to the defensive Fair play. enough. So everyone else went with Cager. It was close with the listeners. 38% of the listeners went with Cager. But Brian Herrian's tip to himself catch was a close second with 32%. So not far behind. Tyler, was this an easy one for you? Or were you split on this like the fans? I was actually split on this one. But I was not split between the two the fans were. So the fans, again, you said 38% went with a Cager 52-yard catch against Florida. And then 32% went with uh, Brian Herrian's spectacular, truly spectacular tip to himself catch against Florida. Uh, it, for me, I was down to the 52-yard catch against Cager. And then I was also, and this is like completely off the radar because no one else voted for this. And the fans, I think like 4% voted for this. Uh, it was the last option, from to Wolf to seal the game against Florida. Now, I, I know like this is a very, you're right, it's very subjective. I think there's a couple ways you can slice this. When you say play of the year, best player, does best mean like the most spectacular play you've ever If I'm going most spectacular, you look at Harriens, but I looked at the yeah. most impactful play is how I went with it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Curtis. To me, like if, if you're going like just the most spectacular play you saw all year, uh, Brian Harriens said to himself was ridiculous. And then Kirby's reaction after that was was just made it even better. Um, and, and it's hard to argue with the Lawrence Cager 52-yard touchdown catch. So that's ultimately what I ended up going for. And I went I went with that one. You think about it, uh, Florida had cut it to 16-10, Early in the fourth quarter, they had some momentum in that game. Their fans had been quiet. They had been quiet. You could see, see them down there in the field. They were getting the momentum. Uh, and then we pull that out, we pull that out of our bag and uh, go 50 yards for the touchdown. Just an incredibly well-designed play, too. I mean, just just I know we all killed Coley throughout the year, but you got to give the man some props. There was a great, great design and great time to call that play, great execution on all parts there. And that put that game out of reach, puts us up 24-10 and that was pretty much all she wrote. They did try to make a comeback over that, but that was pretty much all she wrote. Now, the reason I consider Fromm to Wolf to seal the game uh, well, a little under three minutes ago in the fourth quarter there, think about the situation that we were in there. It was third and seven on our own 35, two minutes, 45 seconds left on the clock. Florida had just driven it 75 yards on the last drive to cut it to 24-17. There was so much pressure on that play. I was, con- I mean, honestly, I was convinced we were on the football there try to cut some more time off the clock because that's just what we do. I did not think we had it in us to call that play. But lo and behold, by God, we called that play. We put the ball in Jake Fromm's hand. And I know we didn't always deliver at, at every point throughout the year, but he delivered there. He had pressure in his face. He couldn't even step into the throw, throws the deep out there, uh, puts it on the money, and Wolf makes the catch to, to seal the game. So just so many aspects of that play with, with Fromm making the throw, the, the call there, the, the guts it takes to make that call. So I strongly consider that play, but I agree with you, Curtis. I, I just that 52 yard catch by Cager was so impactful because they were really trying to get the momentum. That puts us up two scores again, and uh, that was just too much for Florida to be able to come back and, and overtake against our defense. All right, anything you want to add, Kurt? Was this clear cut for you? Um, yeah, I thought it was. Like I said, I, I went with the play that I believed was most uh impactful, and I think that that game really sealed like that play was the one that sealed that win for us, and that got us going, especially the second half of the season. 
Okay. Yeah. Took the pressure off of it. So 1610. I always feel the pressure is a fan in the stands. They're like, oh my God, 1610. One, one mistake and we're going to lose this game. And that kind of let me breathe. And obviously, I'm sure the players have the same reaction there. Okay. Next up, we have the Grit Award, which is for the player who might not have been the most physically gifted player, but through hard work, perseverance, and heart found himself in the starting lineup at times. This is the Tyler one. This is literally the this is literally the award I won my senior year of high school. That's what that's what, if you guys are wondering like, what is this award? The reason it's on there is because I needed another award to make an even ten. And this is what I won. So yeah, here we go. Is there a reason we had to have ten awards? I mean I, I like even numbers, man. I, I, I liked it. Come on. All right. Nine. Nobody wants nine awards. So our ten. nominees are Jake Fromm, Brian Harriet, Tay Crowder, and Zamir White. The winner is Tay Crowder. We were all over the place with this vote. I voted for Fromm, Tyler voted for Harriet, and Curtis and the listeners voted for Crowder. Although the fan vote was close with 41% for Crowder and 38% for Harriet. Curtis, why was Crowder your choice? I mean, you got to think the guy started as a linebacker, or I mean, as a running back. I never, in my, like, even after he made the position change, I did not think there was any way he was ever going to see the field. You know, every year we talked, we did this, we've done the show so far. He was the one player we always say, and you know, how long till he transfers? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I mean, you're absolutely right, Curtis. I mean, going back to high school, he played receiver some in high school, played running back when he first gets here. Then Kirby gets the job and looks at him as a dude, you ain't playing running back here. Uh, if you have any chance at all, get on the field and play linebacker. And to his credit, he said, all right, coach, whatever you say, I'm going to make this happen. Kurt, how many players out there, would, if the coach says that to, to them, all right, all right, coach, I'm out. Right? I mean, think about how many players. I mean, so many players would just be, I'm done. I'm done with that. Uh, but, no. Yeah, take- I mean, that's the new mentality right now. If they, yeah. you know, they want to st- – especially a running back's a position. Like, if you're there, you don't want to leave. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that to me, that says so much about the kind of guy that Tate Crowder is. And then just to grind and learn a new position and at college. I mean, going from linebacker to running back, or going from running back to linebacker, inside linebacker, a position you've never played before in your life. And to get to the point where I, I thought he was solid for us in the rotation in 2018, this year I thought he was I thought he was a damn good player, didn't you, Kurt? I did. I mean, he him and Monty were a very formidable duo at the inside linebacker position. Yes, I mean, I I never in my wildest dreams you were kind of alluding to that. Never when he when they announced he was making me the linebacker would have thought that number one, I barely thought he had a chance to ever see the field at all at linebacker, let alone become the kind of player he ultimately became at that position. That's just through sheer willpower, hard work, dedication, and uh, just love to see guys like that have success. So I'm a huge Tay Crowder fan, and I cannot argue with anyone who made that pick. Um, so and I, I to me it was either Harry or Crowder. Uh, with this category, I ultimately went with Harrion for all the same things I said about Crowder. I mean, uh, or similar things. I know Harrion was the running back all, coming in all the, all the way, but you go back to high school with Brian Harrion, guys. Brian Harrion barely qualified. I mean, he, had, he went into the summer before he was even known if he was going to qualify or not. Basically, every the reason we ended up with him is that every single school out there backed off of him because they just didn't think he was going to make the grade and want to waste time on a guy that might not qualify. You know, go off for other guys' scholarships. But Kirby stayed on him. Him and Kirby built a strong relationship. Kirby believed in him, and Herring delivered. He got the scores he needed. He qualified, gets on campus. And he's another guy, Kirby, that could have transferred at any moment. Could have left. I'm thinking about all the elite players he was sitting behind. He never hung his head. He never pouted. Uh, he didn't do anything like that. He just stayed, and he was a grinder day in and day out. Not the most talented player in the world by any stretch of imagination, but even just the way he ran, the physicality, how tough he ran. Uh, just you, you love, to me personally, I love watching a guy like that play who puts it all there on the field for his team. 
probably doesn't have an NFL future, but just a great leader, a great locker room type guy that you want to have uh, on your team. So uh, I went with Brian Herring, but I, I totally see why people went with Crowder. Okay. Our last three awards are the most prestigious awards. First, we have the Offensive Most Outstanding Player Award. Not the most valuable, but who you thought was the best player on offense this season. Our nominees are George Pickens, DeAndre Swift, Andrew Thomas, and Jake Fromm. The winner is, obviously, DeAndre Swift. I didn't pick Obviously. Huh. I didn't pick Swift. Um, I'm not going to argue <laughs> with you guys. I just think Andrew Thomas will be the highest draft pick off the team. So that tells me that the pro, caps, pro scouts at least think he was the best player on offense. So, Curtis, why was Swift your choice? Um, I mean, I think he's our game changer. Um, you know, the offense really went and went when he went. Um, if he was struggling or we weren't getting yards for him, the offense was not moving. Um, I think that when we had to get a play or get something done, that he was our go-to guy. And he was probably one of our more consistent players, especially in the skill set, skill position. All right, Tyler, you want to add anything? Yeah, I do. I mean, Charlie, I don't want you to kill yourself. I see why you went with Andrew Thomas. I mean, that's, that is a defensible pick. That's just, that that's not like out of nowhere. I mean, you're probably right. He's, like, Kurt, would you say Thomas will be the top Georgia draft pick next year? Or this, 100%. In this I mean, he's probably he's, – there's no question he is yeah. a more talented player. Right. Um, but that doesn't always get you the most valuable player. Sure. Oh, sure. yeah. I'm not going to yeah. argue. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can't argue with anyone going with Thomas. I can't argue with anyone going with Swift because that's who I went with. I just – when I watched those guys, I thought Andrew Thomas was really, really good. He is really good at what he does. But DeAndre Swift, maybe it's just the running back bias here. You know, the guys got the yards, all that. But just watching – and your eyes are on this guy more often than you are on the, the left tackle. But uh, just watching him game in, game out for the last two years, and this guy is a freaking stud. I already mentioned the dead leg. Uh, but it, it's so much more than – I mean, that that move is just – I mean, every time he pulled out, it just amazes me how, like, t- other teams opposing uh, defenders just aren't ever prepared for that. Uh, but uh, it never failed him. But he, also, for a guy that was a little bit on the smaller stature side, I always said he was short but not small necessarily. He was pretty thick for a, a shorter guy. But he ran with toughness. There was a, there were some questions early on in his career when he was a, a freshman. Would he ever be able to run between the tackles like Nick Chubb did? I think he answered that very easily and showed everyone exactly what he was able to do. I mean, he'd run with, with toughness, physicality, all those things. Uh, and he was just a warrior, an absolute warrior out there for us. He, he made the huge plays, the big plays, the highlight plays, but he also would grind out the tough yards. And the, the yards, the plays that no one would ever really talk about, but sometimes were the most impressive to me. Taking a, a, a play that should have been uh, wrapped up for no gain or for a yard or something, and somehow find a way to eke out three, four yards and, and keep us on schedule there. So although DeAndre Silva was a warrior and became a major leader for this team in 2019. So for me – I can't argue with Thomas, Charlie, but I'm a, I'm a curse. I'm going to go with DeAndre Swift. All right. Well, now let's talk about the defensive side of the ball and hand out the award for the most outstanding player on defense. Our nominees are J.R. Reed, Monty Rice, Tyler Clark, and Aziz Oljolari. The winner is J.R. Reed. This was another close one with Tyler and Curtis both selecting Monty Rice and me and the listeners going with Reed. But Reed only won the listener vote with 36% of the vote. So Tyler, it's a tight one. Yeah. why was Monty Rice better than J.R. Reed in 2019? This is a tough one for me. I mean, Curtis, like, was Monty Rice, when we both won Rice, was Rice better than Reed throughout the year? Uh, I, I think he was just, he did everything. I mean, uh, a key was just, you know, sideline, sideline player, came up, made plays at the line of scrimmage. I think he was just, uh, I mean, he was close to an every down back and did a lot for us. 
Yeah, and I think maybe, maybe I was influenced by how much I thought Monty Rice improved as the year went, went on and how much I thought he improved from previous seasons, whereas J.R. was kind of the same player he's always been, right? Yeah. Um, and and J.R. as good as he was, was never like a, a spectacular – like he never – like most of the plays he made, like he was just solid, right? He wasn't going to make the, the the most spectacular plays in the world, but just he would, he would just be a guy that you know he's always going to be in the right place, he's always into the fundamental things, all that type stuff. Uh, and he was so, so good for us. And anyone who went with J.R. which our listeners did, I mean, he won the award. Uh, here's another example of I can't really argue all that much with you. I can't pick too much of a bone with you. But Monty Rice, to me, uh, again, maybe it's because I thought he should improve so much throughout the year. By the end of the year, I thought Monty Rice was playing as well. Or, I thought he was playing better than anyone on our defense by the end of the year. He was a totally different player than what I had seen from him the first couple years of his career. Running silent, silent, which I had not seen from him as consistently. Uh, and just his knowledge of the defense, knowing where to be, his uh, ability to blitz the quarterback. I mean, that's something we hadn't seen as much. I mean, he became a really good blitzer for us as the season went on. He was in command there, in control. He became a guy that very well could end up being a three-down linebacker. We didn't really use him that way. We took him off the field on third and long situation with our dying package. But when teams were throwing the football on center downs, which he'd kind of been a liability in those situations the first couple years of his career, I don't think he was a liability in coverage last year. And to me, that that just that that was the big issue I had with him. Is like, okay, I know between the tackles, this guy is a stud, but can you do the other things? Can you run sideline to sideline? Can you cover out there in space? And I think he answered those questions. I, I certainly think he raised his game to, to another level. And by the end of the year, I do think Monty Rice was playing better than anyone on our defense. I thought he was playing fast, physical, all those things. And JR was was fantastic. He's been fantastic for us for three years now. Um, but again, maybe I'm just biased a little bit there because I'm an old linebacker guy and I just was just blown away by the improvement in the level that Monty Rice raised his game to in 2019. Okay. And finally, the biggest award of the night is obviously most valuable player for the 2019 football And this season. is who you thought had the most value. Not the best player, right, Charlie? Necessarily right. could be you, you can an MVP MOP like there's always a gray area there. But who was who had the most value to this team? Thank you. All right, making sure people understand the, the, the distinction there. So our nominees are DeAndre Swift, Jake Fromm, J.R. Reed, and Lawrence Cager. The winner is Lawrence Cager. Curtis, I want to start with you because you were the only one to not vote to for not Cager. vote yeah. for Cager. <laughs> You went with DeAndre Swift. Why did Swift get your vote? Uh, probably, you know, health had a lot to do with it. I can't sit here and say it didn't. I think that's one of the bigger reasons I think Swift did a whole body of work. Yeah, that – yeah, this was a t- – okay, so I, I I wrestled with this because on the surface I was like, obviously it's, it's Lawrence Cager. So when Cager went out, our offense changed dramatically. We had no chance whatsoever. Uh, but – you're right, Kurt. He didn't. I mean, he played less than half the games this year, and whereas Swift played every one of them, and he was the one guy that we could lean on. He didn't always go for 100 yards. He was the one guy that we had an offense that was just a consistent threat for us. We we had up and down issues at receiver, inconsistency issues at receiver, inconsistency issues at quarterback along the offensive line at times. But the rock was DeAndre Swift, so there was certainly a high level of value in that. And he is such a good player. I mean, I can't wait to see what he does in the next level. But I go back and I look at the numbers, the splits with and without Lawrence Cager and what our offense looked like once he was out for the year. If you look at, and and you guys know some of these numbers. I've thrown these out before. Uh, But uh, with with Lawrence Cager in the lineup, 
Jake completed 73.8% of his passes for almost 240 yards a game, nine touchdowns, no picks, 10.9 yards per attempt. But in five games, and I'm throwing out the Murray State game because Jake didn't play that much in that game. Cager didn't play in that game. Uh, but it's an FCS, and it's also an FCS opponent. Uh, but in the five games that he didn't play, and this was this was going, I think this was right before the SEC championship game. I didn't crunch the numbers after the SEC title game. But uh, in those numbers, without without Cager, Jay completed 51% of his passes for 155 yards a game, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, 5.3 yards per attempt. Half the yards per attempt without Lawrence Cager in the game. 73.8% completion percentage to 51%. Now, Cager doesn't count for all that, but he's a big part of that. And, and I'll, I'll take it a step further. In four full FBS games with Lawrence Cager, our offense as a whole averaged 436 yards a game in 30 points against Notre Dame, Florida, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. In four full FBS games, and I say full because there were a couple games like you don't get South Carolina, Missouri, where you started the game uh, and didn't, didn't finish the game. But in four full FBS games, Without him before the bowl game, so and this is also I'm not including Georgia Tech because Tech is, in my opinion, the FCS team last year. They were ridiculously terrible. But against Kentucky, Auburn, a and LSU, without Lawrence Cager, our offense averaged 268 yards a game and uh, 17.7 points. That's value, man. Without Lawrence Cager, we simply had no one at receiver. That was the issue. We had no one con- that could consistently be a threat receiver other than George Pickens. And Pickens was inconsistent at times because he's a true freshman learning what to do. We saw the wild plays, but he wasn't consistently doing the little things receivers have to do. Cager was the bet. He had it all down. He had the talent. He had the nuances. He had the experience, all that. When he went out, we had no one at receiver, no one that could consistently do what he was doing. And we had no one at receiver. That meant defenses have to count for the passing game. They sold out against the run. And despite the big offensive line, we had the great line. We had great players we have up front. Guys are going to be NFL players. Despite having DeAndre Swift back there, our offense just could not get going because we could not keep defense off balance. We just simply could not. And to me, it all comes back to losing Lawrence Cater. That one guy, to me, had that much of an impact on our fortunes. Um, so Swift is a good, is a really good choice because he was the guy that was there all year long. He was the one consistent threat we had. But even Swift wasn't able to be as uh, as much of a threat and as dominant as he could have been without the, the kind of the complimentary piece than Lawrence Cager to kind of keep defenses a little bit more honest and create space for DeAndre Swift. And I know there's so many different ways you can look at most valuable player. I mean, this is a discussion debate. They have basically every single league, whether it's NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, whatever. They have this discussion just about on an annual basis about like what does most valuable player actually mean. Some people think it's just you know the best player on the best team. Some people think it's just the best player no matter what team you're on. And some people actually like take the term valuable literally. When they talk about value, they take that very literally. And I've always kind of leaned that way. Uh, to me, if you're talking about most valuable player. I typically look at it this way. What would happen if you removed that player from the team? I basically, if you're going to be honest, I look at it from like the wins above replacement standpoint. And if you're a baseball fan, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you probably clueless at what I'm talking about there. Uh, but really what, what wins above replacement means essentially is how much better is your team with that player and how much worse are you off without him? And that's always kind of been how I've looked at the most valuable player discussion. And I know it's subjective and you can totally disagree with me. That's cool. I got no issues with that. I totally do see the other side. But we saw what happened to this offense when you took Lawrence Cager out of the equation. I just went over the numbers. Now, DeAndre Swift was an incredible player. 
But Zeus and Cook and Harry and McIntosh, they could have picked up the slack for him more than the other wide receivers were able to pick it up for Cager, in my opinion. Another example here, losing Andrew Thomas, like, yeah, he was a great player. That would have hurt. But we also had Cade Mays and Jamari Sawyer and other really talented options that may not have been quite as good as Thomas, but were capable enough to where we really wouldn't have missed too much of a beat. So for that reason, even though he played less than half the games, I'm going with Lawrence Cager. All right. All right. Well, that's it, guys. I really appreciate you taking time to to not just listen, but also interact with us and throw your votes out there. For those of you uh, who don't agree with what the choice ended up being, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And they can hit us up on Twitter at Lori underscore UGA. Love to hear your thoughts. But this is a a fun offseason thing to do. I'm sure we got something wrong, but we wanted to kind of give our take uh, on kind of how things went down in the 2019 season. And uh, yeah, fun stuff. But we'll be back later on the week to be recapping all things recruiting now that the 2020 class is about to be completely in the bag uh once the february signing period hits on wednesday so curtis and i will be back we'll have that covered for you later on the week should be a lot of fun there as well but thanks for listening guys for curtis for charlie i'm tyler and as always go dogs